everyone. Welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today we are going to talk about the power of confidence. And the question is, is confidence the missing link to motivation? And I would probably argue that it is. So when clients lack confidence, they're often held hostage by this internal negative dialogue that reinforces messages like, I'm not athletic or I'm not in good enough shape. So today I have Cher McCluster. She is a professor of exercise science, and she's going to help us learn ways that we can increase our clients' confidence so we can help them unlock their true potential. So I'm going to bring Cher in so that she can introduce herself and uh, welcome Cher. Hi, Angie. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Yes. And you know, Cher, you and I met because we both contributed to the women's fitness specialization. And so I know that you're a wealth of knowledge. I read your chapter and I really appreciate the work that you do. Thank you. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to work on. I hope a lot of people will find benefit in what we did this last round. You know what? I hope so too. So one of the things that you and I have talked about is you've done a lot of work, a lot of research on self-efficacy. And you and I talked about how sometimes when we say self-efficacy, people are like, what is self-efficacy? But I think boiled down and when you peel away all the layers, self-efficacy really boils down to personal self-confidence, almost like personal empowerment. And confidence varies throughout our lives, right? There are times when we feel uber confident and there are times that our confidence kind of wavers. But I just, I really want to start off by asking you, what do you think affects confidence, especially in our clients? Because we as fit pros, we're like, what is it that affects confidence? Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the things that we know affects confidence is we call it mastery experiences. But what that really boils down to is have you had successful endeavors with a behavior? Have you been able to actually do the behavior? So this idea of mastery experiences just comes down to how, how have you done it? How often have you done it? Have you been successful? And like you said, I, uh, self-efficacy is such an important variable and it does absolutely boil down to confidence, which is a much more common term that I think everybody has experience with. And really self-efficacy is just how confident are we in our ability to engage in a behavior such as exercise and how confident are we that we would be able to maybe continue with that behavior. So yeah, confidence is a really important variable and it comes down to a lot of doing and being successful. I like that idea of mastery experiences. Have you had these experiences in the past? Have they worked out in your favor? And I was thinking the other day, I was talking to a client in mental health and she, we were talking about the application of physical movement to help her to feel better. So not just cognitive strategies, but what about physical strategies? And she said, you know, Angie, years ago I joined a gym and it was a women's only gym. And I went there and I had a goal to lose weight, but I expected to walk in and be embraced and to feel accepted and connected. And I felt exactly the opposite that I felt shamed. I was told what was wrong. And so to me, when I look at mastery experiences, I think her experience with fitness and walking into a gym started out so negatively that that's what she's carrying with her. So is that what you're, what you're thinking when you say mastery experiences? Do I have that right? Yeah. And it's, 
you touched on something else that's important that we know that there's a lot of factors that will affect confidence. And one of them also is the emotional side of things. So there's getting the experiences themselves. And if they're successful, our confidence tends to build. If we attempt a, a behavior and it doesn't go well, our confidence can go the other direction where we do, we lose confidence. And the way that an experience makes us feel emotionally, physically, those also contribute. So this would be a really good example of uh, someone walking into a facility, feeling like they don't belong. So emotionally that might cause anxiety and that could cause um, some feelings of a lack of self-confidence for their ability to be in that environment. And then the other uh, part of that could also be if the um, client walked in and didn't see people uh, like herself. So we also gain confidence if we see people that are in any number of ways similar to us uh, doing a behavior. So if that was also not present, that could have immediately affected confidence. That's a great way of putting it. And when I think about that, all the emotion involved in experiences, it's so true because emotion is so tied to our senses, not just what we see. Like you said, when we're looking at other people in the gym, can we relate to how we perceive that we look versus how we perceive that they look? Even down to the smells, the sights, the sounds, um, the things that we're hearing. Are we hearing a lot of grunting and slamming of weights? Or are we hearing things like, you've got this and let's go? Because our mind attaches to experiences in so many different ways. Like music is such a pivotal one. How many times do you hear a song on the radio and it takes you immediately back to a situation? I mean, I would guess that if I actually were to pick that client's brain, she probably could think about what was playing on the radio. She probably could tell me what her five senses tapped into. Um, so when I think about that, and when you say your confidence varies depending on like the emotion attached to it and that type of thing. So when I think about like this particular client and I think about these experiences, what comes to my mind, it's something you had mentioned also um, when you and I spoke about this is encouragement. And how I think that sometimes we can turn the tables on confidence, even if we didn't have an experience that we mastered, we had other experiences in our lives that we might be able to relate to this. And also maybe through in, um, encouragement, we might be able to get that client into a different place. What are your thoughts about encouragement? Yes, uh, absolutely. And so when we are um, formally discussing self-efficacy, the term that we would attach to encouragement is a verbal persuasion. And really that is coming down to, are we being encouraging to our clients? Because sometimes they need that little bit of a nudge. And that initial nudge is going to come from our words, basically saying you can do this. So there's several ways that we can get that encouragement going and telling someone that they have a belief in their ability that can go a long way. Cause sometimes people, they just need to hear it. And that's all that they need to get pushed forward. And there's also, um, in terms of fit pros, what we can do is not only encourage, but another aspect of encourage or of increasing self-efficacy, meaning increasing our confidence, is um, it's looking at what we call modeling. And that's where fit pros can basically be very good at demonstrating. So we want to make sure that we're always providing various levels of instruction based on skill. We are uh, very good at making modifications when we see that they are necessary. Because if we 
you know, come out of the gates and we are sort of coming in hot, that can be problematic for our clients if we want them to um, engage in a skill that they're just not connecting with. They're, they don't have the, the motor ability quite yet. All these things can really start snowballing in a negative direction in terms of confidence. So there's so many things we can do as fitness professionals. Encouragement is such an easy one and we can do it so yeah. consistently and we can have good quality interaction that would also right. facilitate confidence. But then again, we, we can also um, be very good at demonstrating, which would be um, showing some some behaviors to model. And that's our job. Get in right. There. And when I think about the modeling too, I like what you said about the modifications because it goes back to group fitness instructors are always trained that you teach, uh, you know, you give them modifications for this is your base level. This is a higher level. This is a lower level. You don't call it that. But the key is that you don't ever model the highest level because then the clients or the participants will feel like they have to do the highest level. They feel like they have to do the hardest exercise. And so I think that modeling too, like you said, keep in mind when they're watching you and you're teaching them a movement and maybe they don't have the motor patterns yet, don't model the highest level of the movement or, or the perfection of the movement. Model maybe the pieces of the movement that tie together to create quality movement. Exactly. And if we do have a skill set that is uh, advanced, we can surely demonstrate to someone, here's where we're going to start. And just so you see, here's where we're going to go over the course of several weeks or months. Here's the end movement or the end result. Those things are also very positive because it can give the client something to strive for in terms of maybe goal setting. And it also sets the fitness professional up for, hey, I know where we're going to start and I have the knowledge and skill set to get you to this end point and won't this be a fun journey for us to take. So there's a lot of ways that fitness professionals can utilize this idea of modeling. And But yeah, you're right. We can't just go to the top end skill and say, here's what you need to do and right. then be frustrated with a client if they don't quite get it or they need more repetitions than maybe somebody else. So that's where we have to be very good about what I like to refer to as the quality and quantity of instruction. It's our job to instruct. It's our job to provide modifications, corrections, because we want to keep our clients safe, of course. So quality and quantity of instruction is really important in terms of building confidence in our clients. Absolutely. Quality and and the instruction. And the instruction, I think words matter in the instruction too. So careful with the words that we use. I love the word that you use. You said journey. Always reminding them that it's a journey. It's not a destination. We don't have to get there fast. We just have to get there safely and effectively. So Cher, I want to reintroduce you. I'm talking to Cher McCluster and she is a professor of exercise science. We're talking about ways to increase our clients' confidence so we can actually unlock their true potential. And I think all of us throughout our lives has been through, have been through periods where we just need a little confidence boost. Like, I wish I could pull up at a gas station and just like, like I fill up my car, I just want to fill up my body with, with confidence. And we're talking about different ways that, that you achieve that. And you had mentioned mastery experiences. So we've had the experience where we've mastered something and we're like, okay, I've, I've done this. I know I can do it. And, um, and in fact, that same client that I was talking about, I asked her, Basically, didn't use the word mastery experiences, but I basically asked her, hey, um, 
has there ever been a time in your life where you did exercise where you felt good about it? And then she was able to relate those times. Well, I used to take yoga and I used to walk. So then we, we kind of tapped into those mastery experiences. But that was that encouragement from me. And that's that key role that you're talking about. Um, so what else do you think builds confidence or just sends confidence down the toilet? <laughs> and that's what happens sometimes. Um, yes. Definitely. We've all been there. So one thing that is also, I would say, associated with confidence is it is sort of a, a nice feed forward mechanism in terms of positive thoughts and emotions. When we are confident that we can do something, we tend to, like I said, bring these positive emotions, which allows us to focus more. And if we're able to focus on a task or skill at hand, it's probably going to be safer for one. The movements will be more um, effective and efficient. So we will progress faster. If we lack confidence, we're sort of letting some of the, um, the, the garbage in. We're letting things like worry, distract us, and if we're not able to focus on what it is that we want to accomplish, particularly in the world of fitness. So it's a very physical environment. It's about doing and um, consistently doing, hopefully. And so that confidence, as we can hopefully build that within our clients, like I said, we will bring the positivity with that. Positivity is associated with higher levels of confidence. So keeping that in mind. So when we have a client that is demonstrating uh, a lack of confidence, it would be helpful if we could find what is holding them back. What are the barriers that are in their head as to what is that self-talk that is causing them to hold themselves back, not be able to you know, take that step forward, whether it's trying a new skill, um, maybe it could be a group exercise class. I know for me, an example of low confidence is if I walk by a Zumba class, um, confidence <laughs> is very low. Um, however, um, walk by the indoor cycling room, been teaching it for, I don't even want to say how many years, confidence mm -hmm. it's through the roof. So it's right. something that um, if somebody were to encourage me uh, and point out that there's people like me in that Zumba class and hey, maybe not everybody is as coordinated as the instructor, it's okay. They're having fun. Look how great that environment is. It might pull me in. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it is very situation specific mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong. We get people that have high levels of trait confidence. So they're just, they can do anything and everything, whether it's true or not. Um, and the danger with the trait confidence is if someone is overconfident, we don't want that to turn into injury and where they're overdoing something. So we have a whole spectrum when it comes to uh, where we might fall on, on the, how we feel with our confidence towards any number of activities. Yeah. Well, and it's true, you know, those people with that trait confidence, they may have never met their match, right? It may be a situation where they've always had the ex these experiences where they feel very successful. And both you, you teach at a university now, and I used to teach at a university. We know those students who meet their match for the first time, and they're not used to that. They can be a very difficult place for them because they have never really fallen. And so those of us who fall a lot, like you and I, who if I walk through a Zumba, by a Zumba room, I have that same experience. We're used to that resilience of being able to get down, get back up, get down, get back up. 
that's kind of how we've lived our lives is is continually staying uncomfortable so um i think that those are great suggestions you know just talking about those master experiences talking about the power of encouragement to empower our clients talking about the way that they feel these experiences and I think one of the last things that you said, when I think about really encouraging my clients and um, kind of thinking about their barriers, you had mentioned self-talk and I'm, I'm working on a workshop on mental skills training. And it's interesting that you said that because it doesn't just tie into confidence that ties into what's going on in our mental mindset, because that plays such a big, powerful role in how our clients respond to exercise. And I don't think that as coaches and trainers, we're really used to talking to our clients about that self-talk, but I'm so glad you brought that up. It's huge. It is huge. And you don't walk around saying, here's what I'm telling myself. You don't, yeah. it's, it's the things you don't readily reveal. So if a fitness professional is noticing that there's some lack of confidence or lack of maybe motivation to do something. It's our job to kind of dig a little deeper and find out what's going on and how can we help? How can we modify? How can we facilitate the experience? Um, or is it something that we just need to pivot and move in another direction so that we can help our client improve that self-talk and trying to get into the mindset of our clients, it can be challenging, but that's where those good listening skills come in and the, the um, ability to do some motivational interviewing. I know you and I have talked about that before previously. So, mm -hmm. it, but yeah, that self-talk, we don't walk around saying, hey, here's, here's what I'm telling myself is why I can't do it. So we have to kind of pull that out of people and see if we can maybe coach around it a bit. Right. Because the last thing we want to say to our clients is stop thinking that. That's like telling me to stop thinking about chocolate. If I tell myself to stop thinking about something just in and of itself, I'm thinking about it more because I keep saying stop thinking about it. So it's not that simple. It's just a matter of listening to our clients and saying, okay, this is what's going on in their head. So then we have to help them step away from those thoughts and realize that just because we think it doesn't make it true. It's not our truth. It's just what our what our mind does. Our mind ruminates, our mind comes up with all kinds of thoughts, but they're not all accurate. So I agree. Tapping into that self-talk, helping our clients step away from it and helping them not to wrap it around them like a warm blanket. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of self-talk, what I also think of, and you had mentioned, and I know you've done some research on this in terms of self-efficacy is you talk about self-love. And again, that's not something that everybody in the fitness profession says, hey, I think I'm going to talk to my clients about self-love. But what does that look like? And what is that exactly? Yeah. So I think, and again, people might have different perceptions, uh, but it's about respecting how you feel about something. It's about acknowledging and putting your needs sometimes ahead of others. And for some of us, uh, guilty of this, uh, it can be very difficult in order to put that self-love first. And you know what? I need to take care of myself. I always think about, you know, when you, when you travel on an airplane, they say, you know, put your mask on before you help someone else. And it's because if, if you can't help someone else and they can't help themselves, now we're in a big mess. So self-love really is about prioritizing you and accepting that you do have needs that need to be met in order for you to you know, maximize your potential. And we do see this often in the fitness industry where uh, 
people have a lot of external uh, pulls and pressures in their lives. And it's very easy to, in any one given day, reprioritize what they need, which might be a good exercise uh, bout. <laughs> I think that helps a lot of us psychologically. If we can just get there, we all, no one ever goes to the gym, finishes a workout, and then says, man, I wish I had just laid on the couch for the last 30 minutes. No one ever says that. If, and that's what I always encourage um, you know, my, my participants in my classes. I'm like, hey guys, when we're done, you're not gonna walk out of here saying you wished you hadn't done it. You're, you're gonna feel good. You're gonna be happy that you put yourself first for the last 60 minutes. And now you can go prioritize others. But it's encouraging people to be respectful of their own needs. Because we're always taught to be respectful of others. And I agree with that. And of course, um, if we happen to be um, parents or employers or employees or students, I mean, any number of roles in life, things are always pulling at you know, what our attention needs to go to. And every once in a while, we need to put that back on ourselves and have that sort of um, introversion uh, moment where we say, it's okay to, to respect my own needs and to you know, practice some self-love. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I like that concept of self-love. I've actually used it as a cue before. Like, do you love yourself enough to do another swing? I know you love yourself enough to be here. Do you love yourself enough to do one more movement? You know, use it as like a foundation of this is about loving yourself. This is about respecting what you need and what you want in life so that you can show up better for other people. And I think that's the key of reminding clients about self-love is that just like self-care, it's not selfish. It is if I want to show up best for other people, I'm going to have to take care of myself or I'm not going to be around long enough to show up for other people. So um, I like that idea of self-love. I'm, I'm so glad that you talk about it because I feel like not very many fit pros talk about it. And it ties so deeply into confidence and in our underlying um, question of, am I worthy? Angie, you said it perfectly when you're talking about, we don't, our fit pros maybe don't talk about it enough or we don't talk about uh, it with them. But as a fitness professional, we need our fit pros to also practice their own self-love because sometimes we're giving so much to our clients and that's great, but we need to protect ourselves from things like burnout. We need to protect ourselves from being maybe overly tired and stressed because then we're not the best for our client. Maybe we're not paying attention as much as we need to. We're going through the motions. So we need to help our clients. And then also just because, I mean, the fitness industry, can have a high uh, high level of burnout. And it's important for our fitness professionals if they're going to be able to provide the optimal service to their clients, which is what their clients deserve and surely what our fitness professionals want to deliver, we still need to make sure that they're taking care of themselves. Kind of like this, the idea of put your mask on first. So for our fitness professionals, are you taking care of yourself? Are you getting the rest you need? Are you getting the workout that you need because you do want to keep up your fitness um, and physique and whatnot in the industry because it is a very physical and visual environment. So it is important that they that our fitness professionals are taking care of themselves so that they can be even better at taking care of their clients. 
Absolutely, and that's the thing about fitness pros. I think we all think we're invincible, don't we? I mean, aren't we invincible? So isn't exercise like a hall pass? We don't have to sleep. We don't have to do anything else as long as we exercise. So, you know, when Cher, I'm talking to Cher McCluster, and she is a professor of exercise science, and we're talking about confidence, building confidence so that we can unlock our clients' true potential. And confidence is key for everybody. They teach CEOs, business leaders, on how to build confidence, not just within themselves, but within their teams. Because if we have a confident team, we have higher performers. And that's the same way with our clients. But when I when I think about confidence and self-love, I also think about um, that, that flip side of being afraid of failure. And what comes to my mind is, I think one of the best ways to build confidence is to start so, so small. So you know, clients come in and they're like, I want it yesterday. I want to lose five pounds yesterday. I want to look this way tomorrow. But it's about us kind of reining it in and starting small and, and just being so full of encouragement, almost like, um, what was that? You know, Pavlov's dogs, when at the beginning, you have to constantly reinforce. I think when clients are new, we have to constantly reinforce and that we can pull that reinforcement back a little bit as their confidence and self-efficacy increases. But we have to start small and give them really movements that really empower them and make them feel good before we throw a bunch of other stuff at them, don't you think? Absolutely, we have to help, we need to help them because it's a partnership when we're working with a client. We need to help them set realistic expectations. So I think that's one of the key things that we can do in terms of helping them maybe start small, it's starting realistic. So where where are you starting? That's where good assessments take place. We need to really understand where our clients are at psychologically and physical and physiologically. All of these things come together so that we can program properly. And then we wanna set proper expectations. And proper expectations can lead to small victories and we start building that confidence. And the other thing that we know is that people that do have higher levels of confidence they set more aggressive goals and they are more focused to achieve those goals. So if we can start out on that right level, that right foot basically, can we set realistic expectations for, help them set realistic expectations for what their progress should look like in one week, in one month, in six months. If we can get that narrative early and get the small victories, we start building and then all of a sudden what, seems like the end goal is just the midpoint goal. They want to go farther. They get more focused and committed. So it's a very um, positive feed forward experience for our client. And again, when they have setbacks, we're right there. Encouragement, let's modify, let's adjust. And you know, sometimes it's, you're getting fatigued. I need to pull you back so you don't get hurt. So it's about having their best interest in mind at all times. Yeah. Well, and that's so true about the goal setting part, because it's true. Those with low efficacy, those with low confidence don't set very high goals. I don't know about you, but I have a big family. I have four sisters, a bunch of nieces and nephews. I see it even in my own family on the whole goal setting spectrum, how some people in my family are always playing it safe. Their goals are very small. To me, they're very um, under what they're capable of, but that's where that confidence and self-efficacy comes in. And so you see it in people who are very, very confident that they, they set these very, very, um, they're realistic goals, but they're also high achieving goals. And so 
if we can get our clients' confidence built up, they're going to set higher goals and they're going to want to go further. But if we push them too hard, too fast, we're going to go the opposite way. And we are going to flush their confidence in the toilet and they're going to disappear. And that could be a big reason why is because they came in and they said, I want to go faster, go, go fast, go harder, go home. And we listen without educating them and saying, you know what, let's try this first and then encourage them and build their confidence because as a trainer we have to remember that no matter it's not that we're dismissing our clients goals and needs but but we do have to remember that we're the experts and it's not that we know better than them but a little bit of education and guidance goes a long way right that's right yes absolutely we're on the same page angie <laughs> So I want to reintroduce you. I'm talking to Sharon McCluster, and she's a professor of exercise science. She's done so much research on self-efficacy and confidence. And Sharon, I do want to just, you know, kind of before we tap out of this episode, I do want to talk about the opposite of confidence, because we both know that confidence plays a significant role in how people approach exercise. And if they're not confident, what kind of messages do you think we hear from them? In terms of what they're communicating to us? or what they're saying in their mind, things like I'm not athletic or- Yeah, you know. exactly. So when people don't have the confidence, it's it's filled with more of those negative emotions and negative thought processes. Uh, the I'm not good enough, I'm not fit enough. We hear that a lot in the fitness industry. If I, I wanna lose a little bit of weight before I try something new. And it's all the, I can't. It's it, And we need to help flip that dialogue in their head and change those I can't to here's what I can do and here's what I will do. So we need to identify what it is that they are capable of and what they are willing to do. And again, like you mentioned earlier, take those small steps and get the small victories and build from there. And it, it is something that if you're going to be in the fitness industry, you're going to hear an awful lot of I can'ts from an awful mm -hmm. lot of clients. So you have to immediately pick up on that negative language and work with your clients to help turn that towards a positive. And it's, it comes from being able to adjust expectations uh, appropriately for individuals. Yeah, well, whenever I hear a client say, I can't, instead of arguing saying, oh yes, you can, I always say, okay, well now I know what you can't do, so what can you do? And then I just let them tell me, well, I can walk, I can, and I literally just pull it from them. What can you do? Start with the most primitive things. I can get dressed, I can do activities of daily living, I can walk, I can show up to the gym. And then all of those things, you know, don't you love that you could do those things? Because it goes back to the self-love. So share before we kind of close this up, is there any Anything else from the research or anything else about confidence and self-efficacy that I might not have tapped into that you kind of want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, we really tapped into quite a bit. So uh, I think we covered a lot of the main points. And one of the things that comes up over and over again with self-efficacy is, and we use the term mastery experiences. It's back where we started our conversation um, at the beginning of the podcast. And it is the most um, robust variable to talk in research terms to um, predict which level our confidence is going to go, meaning is it going to increase or decrease? So if we are trying to hone in on sort of the number one thing that will build confidence over time, it is those continued experiences. So if we can keep people trying and a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, then the confidence will build. And um, 
right behind that are those other variables we talked about, which is if someone has um, some social modeling that they are observing, so they see someone like themselves or their fitness professional demonstrate, and then of course the encouragement, and then also we can't disregard and we need to help our clients pay attention to how does whatever the skill or task or movement is, how does it make them feel physically and emotionally? And all of those things together, those are the main variables that are involved in terms of um, self-efficacy research. But time and again, mastery experiences uh, has been uh, shown in various um, environments to be the absolute best predictor of whichever direction that self-confidence is going to go. So poor experiences, confidence is going to go down. Well, and I think that's key because all of us, I mean, we can all think of times where we've had mastery experiences when things have gone really, really well and times when they haven't. And so I really wanted to bring you on, Cher. I'm so glad that you came on because I think that the fitness world more and more is kind of having this seismic shift toward what about mental health? What about self-efficacy? What about these variables like self-confidence, self-love, self-talk? How are these tying in? Because what we're noticing is that we've got our fit people and then we have a whole population of people, not so much, who are still baffled by exercise and intimidated and don't like the narrative that's going on in the fitness space. So if we as trainers and group fitness instructors can tap into this, and if we can talk to clients about how they feel, I feel like we're going to capture them, we're going to keep them, and we're going to build a, a love for exercise, not just for themselves. So Sherry McCluster, thank you so much. Thanks for the work that you do. I think that you're brilliant, and I, I like everything that you've shared today. So thanks to our APA and NASM audience for tapping in, and we hope to see you next week. Thank <music> you.